and welcome to episode 132 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Courtney. And I'm Sally. And I'm Nathan. And I'm Megan. Today is Friday, January 19th, and that's right, I've got a collage of interviews for you. Monica is far, far from San Francisco, and there's no replacing her with just one friend. So today is a special lineup of some of my favorite crafty, artistic, creative, and bookish friends and family. Thank you, listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. And now for my first guest on the needles okay we are here on the needles with my friend sally who i've known for a really long time she is an incredible knitter and she works at a magical knitting store here in the city which is just extra special it is very special you want to introduce yourself yes I'm Sally. Yes, I work. I've been working at Imagine It for a few years now, touching a lot of yarn, opening a lot of boxes full of yarn. It's really fun to see everything come in and also just to see people shopping and meet people at the store, learning about their projects, getting ideas for new projects for me. Do you come home with yarn every single day? I almost do because <laughs> I can bring it back and return it, you know, after I decide that night, oh, the color's not right. And I mean, just like everyone, you can go back and exchange your yarn for another color if you haven't used it yet. Because when you bring it home and you see it in a different light or something, uh, it's very tempting to, as I stock shelves, to say like, oh, I could do this with this yarn and yeah, and want to take and it And you home. must see beautiful projects come yes. in all the time too. Yeah. Yeah. It's my favorite thing to learn that somebody made their sweater that they're wearing and see them kind of light up when they talk about it and then exchange patterns, share. It's really all I can, I, I want to share my projects with them too. And sometimes I'll have one and I'll just go run and get it and say, oh, here, look, I'm either it's a technique or a new yarn that they're thinking of buying or something. But a lot of people like don't know how to do magic loop. And so I'll run and grab my, you know, if I have a project on magic loop or something and, and it's fun. I love sharing, sharing that with people. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of the shop, mm -hmm. they're opening a new location. Yes. We, got, we right here at Craft Cook Read, Repeat have the scoop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Caitlin, who's the new owner of Imagine It uh, for the last couple years now, she is a real go-getter and she is like so excited about just bringing more yarn to people. So she's opening another Imagine It in the East Bay. And uh, it's where she she lives in the East Bay with her family. And so I think that was kind of like, oh, I can really put my all into this because we have the shop in San Francisco runs pretty smoothly. You know, we have a, a good base there. So she feels comfortable, like, you know, moving on to some like not moving on. She's definitely no, still at a, grow, at a, growing the yeah, business. Yeah. yeah. I don't know the details of when she's opening, but it's on College Ave in the Elmwood neighborhood. 2921 College Ave. Yeah. I have not even seen the space beyond just a little video, but um, I'm one of those San Franciscans who like never leaves the city. <laughs> 
but same. I will probably, you know, help her out. I'm a big fan of hers and like what she's doing. And she has tons of energy and she's really receptive to customers, you know, what customers want, which I think is great. Absolutely. So if you're local, it's something very exciting. And I think now that Stitches has gone by the wayside, there is, Monica was telling me about a yarn, a Bay Area yarn crawl. Yes. So hopefully the, the East Bay location will be on people's map by then and can... I hope so. Yeah. I would think that might be something that... I don't want to say that, oh, it'll be what, yeah, I don't know the time frame, but the yarn crawl is going to be big. And um, for sure, the, you know, San Francisco shop will be involved in that heavily. So, and Caitlin has been helping to plan that. So, well, congratulations, Imagine It team. Yes. So we were chatting beforehand about how long you've been knitting and you said, on and off for mm-hmm. 20 years, mm-hmm. but pretty steadily the past five. Yes. My mother always was knitting and she taught me to knit as a teenager. And then when I was in college, I would learn again because I would keep forgetting. So she would teach me and again and again. And then I moved away after college and I was like, I want to just remember how to knit, (laughs) like not keep forgetting. So I took a class and I actually, that was when I learned continental knitting. Like, and I mean, my mother always taught me English and for some reason the continental just stuck better. But I think I also just kept practicing from that point on more than from that point on. I really stuck. I didn't really start diving head first in until I did the sock madness competition that was like taught me so many techniques that was when I first kind of met Monica right I had never knit a sock before I considered joining that and I did some practice socks and they were pretty easy and then the the things that I was learning in that in that competition were like wow I didn't I didn't know all these different things existed. And then I learned Magic Loop and I learned just like all these different color work. I'd never done stranded color work and there was this color work sock. And, you know, I definitely learned like, wow, if I just follow the instructions and practices, I can do it. It was great. And then it was really exciting to move on from there and and take a lot of what I learned into other garments and my own pace. Right. As well. Right. Because sock madness (laughs) is rather mad. Yeah. Yeah. But it was during COVID and, you know, what it did was taught me to like really sit down and take time to myself every day to knit. And now I really um, am so thankful, like, you know, that that's what I do when I sit down by myself at home is grab the nearest project. Yes. So near nearby projects. Uh Uh-huh. What are you working on? Well, I'm working on several things, as most knitters um, have. Lots of projects. I have lots in the queue and lots in the bags. I think that's where I've gone wrong. Yeah. Is I just do one, and then I get really sick of it, Mm -hmm. and I don't ever want to see it again. Yeah. (laughs) I don't... It's like, I get sick of it, but I also am so excited when I near the end that I'm like... I almost get, it's like when I get to the sleeves, if they're last, I'm like, well, I'm practically done with that. And I put it aside and I start something else. And so I have a lot that just have sleeves left. Oh, because it's like, you, Sally. (laughs) 
I mean, it's, it's interesting, but I tend to do that. It's like, I think ahead so much. I get excited about what's coming that I just like want to jump there. And so that's kind of where I jump along. But I mean, I've been feeling the past five months or so because so much um, Christmas knitting was happening and stuff that I'm like, wait, I haven't worn a new knitted item of my own in a very long time. And so I need to get to the finishing part because it's silly. You know, I'm, I'm wearing my handmade sweaters that I've made like 10 years ago. <laughs> like, where's something new? You know, I, yeah. I need something new. So I really need to finish. We were talking before, I'm about to take a trip. So trips will come in and interrupt my knitting progress on other stuff because I want to make something for that trip. And I want to make sure I have projects ready to go that I know I'm excited to do while I'm on the plane and on the, the, the vacation. So right now I have a couple things like small projects for traveling. I didn't share these with you earlier, but some little cowl like um, Andrea Mowry's rad plaid cowl, which is a small project that I can use up little little bits here and there because nothing's there's 250 yards of each or something so oh I'm also going to make an espresso scarf that is kind of like a Sophie scarf a small scarf but it's a brioche pattern um, oh dear god little parallelogram <laughs> yeah which is a practice brioche for I have bought yarn for the September slipover by Petite Knit which I haven't really made any of her patterns lately and then I'm making uh, the Joni tea out of this nice Noro cotton blend for the trip, which is a week away. So I'm I'm working on that now. But it's, I, it's 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 getting there. It's well underway. Yeah, and I it mean, doesn't have has little cap sleeves, so the body's just past, you know, almost to the mid. It's about four inches past the the armhole. I think I'll finish it. It'll be nice for the warm winds of Hawaii. Excellent. It's it's a beautiful like it's nice I don't know gray. Yeah, it's gray, but it's like got a little bit of it's reds in there. A little warm, like yeah. a deep purple, but not quite. Yeah. Do you have a color palette that you gravitate towards? Well, lately it's been pinks. One of the things that my coworkers, everybody like choosing colors is a real personal thing, and I've never felt great at it. But it's interesting to be with people who are like, oh, that color really brings out, oh, you know, this part of your skin or, or that one washes you out. Like somebody said that about blue to this blue, this certain blue to me. And I was like, I've always picked blues, you know? I know. I love. <laughs> like maybe I don't know what washes me out. You know, I just love colors. The, the ability to do colors I, is very elusive to me. I, I just am like, well, I like that color, but I've been gravitating towards reds, pinks, not reds, but more like pinky reds. Like, right. Like, this is like a nice deep. I'm, there's yeah. a cardigan I'm working on that's called the Garden Fairy Cardigan. It's sitting right here with us, and it's a deep plum kind of with a... It's gorgeous. It's a Malabrigo worsted, which is a great workhorse kind of yarn that a coworker of mine just bought and it's pretty inexpensive and she knitted with it and she was like you guys this yarn is so awesome and it's so cheap and I'm holding it with a mohair and it's but it's not just a mohair it's kind of a metallic mohair yeah it's a and yeah it's it the, looks so incredible yeah 
I'm really happy with it. I mohair now is is very in. I would say a lot of people are doing just mohair alone or held with, and a lot of that I feel like is this petite knit lady. This <laughs> is very popular, and I'm sure a lot of the knitters out there know petite knit patterns. But her thing is hold a million strands together, <laughs> and well, three sometimes. Three is probably the most, but it's that's one of the things a lot of people come into the shop and they're like, I want to make this pattern. And you're like, okay, it's three strands held together to make the one that she made that gives it airy loftiness and stuff. But, but this is a beginner knitter. So I'm like, you can also just use one strand of something. Maybe right. that's best for your first sweater, but it doesn't give the same. It's, it's just, uh, it feels a little advanced to me to be like picking out double triple stranded things well and you have the the industry knowledge of you want somebody to have success with a project for sure you're not gonna just yeah Yeah. here's three balls of really difficult mohair (laughs) right like have at it it gets expensive yeah it's like oh i have to buy this yarn and this yarn and people are pretty shocked when they're like wow that's like 150 dollars and you know yeah it can be really expensive definitely it that's why it's helpful to have people working there who really know i steer people away from stuff if i think it's not right or if it's just i mean not that i know what they want to spend but you know there are yarns in the shop that are just there that are like you know you're looking at yarns and they're at 15 dollars a ball and then there's one that's like 35 and i don't know if they know what they're getting um so to make sure that we all kind of know that there are a million options there's so many that you do not have to follow exactly what's in the pattern exactly yes true yeah well this so this is a free pattern right yeah the the fairy garden garden fairy cardigan yeah and i just it was on a whim I'm that's what I'm using the Malabrigo for and with the knitting for all of soft silk mohair it's carried with it and I there was no projects there's like one project on Ravelry I love to look at other people's projects and read their comments and see oh is this pattern something that people haven't finished or have had problems with but this one I just dove in I was like oh, I like the like that <laughs> So it's really I'm a beautiful. little, I mean, I'm happy with how it's coming out. I think I started it thinking, well, if I get a, you know, five inches into the neck, I'll just be able to tell from there whether or not I like it. And I just kept going. So I yeah. guess I liked it. Yeah. Um, and this, this has a long sleeve. It does. Yeah. Like a saddle sleeve. Like, well, this is a saddle shoulder, but it's actually one piece. So this, we have another sweater here that I made. That's a saddle shoulder, but in pieces, a seamed saddle shoulder. And that was definitely, I haven't done a seamed sweater in a long time, but it's for a man. And so I'd heard that a saddle shoulder will fit a man's chest better so I thought I'll just give it a try and so that was like picking up but this this garden fairy one is a saddle shoulder where you it's integrated yeah 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 it's beautiful yeah you so you pick up the side of the saddle as you're building the front down it's really nice I like it okay so the church mouse Mm -hmm. church mouse yeah church mouse saddle shoulders church mouse has a lot of good like classic kind of patterns really and yeah yeah. I'm rather fond one. of this one. It is mm-hmm. so soft. Yeah, it's the Saxony Cashmere by Juniper Moon, which I'll be honest, I don't know if I would have bought it if I didn't have my employee discount. I'd imagine it. It's expensive, but it's lovely, gorgeous. 
Oh, yeah. Yard. It's so buttery. Yeah. And it's like tweety. And this collar on it, mm-hmm. Monica has done ones like this before, but I don't know what it's called. Yeah. It's like a rolled neck. Mm. It's nice. It gives a little beef to the neckline. And it makes yeah. it look designer. Yeah. Like uber expensive. It's pretty easy. Actually, this one on this was was interesting. It A lot of times you'll start a rolled collar and then you tie in the top, you roll it and then knit it in. But this was a picked up collar after the fact. So I picked it up and it said knit five inches and then basically just do a whip stitch and sew it back. And I was really nervous because I was like, well, the whip stitch is going to be too tight. And what if it doesn't stretch? But it, it seems to be okay. So I don't love was, it. I love it when it's, I like it when it's knitted in. So it was like a funnel neck mm-hmm. that you then just inverted and stitched down. Exactly. <gasps> Which sounds brilliant. You can do that. You can change, alter a pattern, you know, if you don't like just a single, you can add a roll neck to anything where you're picking up a neckband. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, awesome. Yeah. So, but th- that was what the pattern had written. I think it might be more old school, like church mouse might have more old school things. I don't know. I kind of like some of the classic ones sometimes yeah it depends so what what are you really excited to knit when you come back from your trip i'm gonna start on that september slipover which is the petite knit that's the red that i have here this is a quince and company can't remember the name of that fingering weight with a mohair so it's another mohair held together there was just this laying mohair at the shop and i loved it and so I was like, I want to use that with something. We have limited colors of it for some reason. It is I like um, the best, like a pomegranate or something. Exactly. It's an that excellent is the color. name of this. No way. Color Finch pomegranate. Good job, Courtney. She knows her colors. This lady. <laughs> That's the only thing that I got for knitting is the colored color whatever. So what are you going to do with this? The September what? September slipover. It's leaveless petite knit pattern that you just like wear it over collared shirt or like a, you know, yeah. tee or something. It's really, it looks I'll have great. to look at that one. I've yeah. been for a year looking for like a vest or something. Yeah. Not, well, I mean, not that hard, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many great designers out there. So many. Every day I'm discovering new ones and I'm not very active on Ravelry. Like don't post my projects. I'm terrible, but I do think to put something in my favorites at least, you know, but at yeah. the shop it's hard cuz I'm not like logged in on my phone, you know. So right. I'm like writing things down on notes and yeah. I love I love it. I love that part of it. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. This is super inspiring. It makes me want to go home and maybe knit. Yeah. (laughs) Well, your sweater that you're wearing now is inspiring. It has a very bold flower pattern, and that's definitely that's it's in now. It takes maybe a little intarsia, which a lot of intarsia, (laughs) Um, but it's it's uh, bold flowers. It is quite a few patterns out there with that kind of yeah this is an aspirational (laughs) sweater for me well thank you this if you want to see sally go to imagine it thanks for joining us thanks for having me we are on the easel with sonia Britton. sonia has been an instagram friend of mine for we don't know if it's been eight or ten years but i really admire 
her sketchbook practice, and she has so graciously agreed to come and talk to us today about her process and her artist life. And welcome, Sonia. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me along. Well, we're delighted to have you. I admire so much of your work, but especially your portraiture. I think that you capture your boys. Well, it's a lot of everything now, but in the beginning, it was a lot of your boys in these just lovely scenes. And I, I was just very smitten with that from the beginning. So if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself to our listeners. Um, so hi, I'm Sonia. I'm a mum of three boys. I'm from Essex in the UK and I've been living out in uh, Burlingame in California now for, gosh, it's been like seven years. And I'm also an artist and that's like my main, the thing outside the family and like the home that I, I really enjoy and love. Yeah, so we're we're actually sort of neighbours. We're not too, too far apart, but we have never gotten the opportunity to meet in real life. And now it's a, it's a 2024 goal of mine that maybe we can connect and have a cup of tea and draw something. Yeah, that would be lovely. Because, yeah, we don't actually live that far away. So, yeah, if you were in Burnley Game or I come up to San Francisco, we'll have to have a, a sort of a cafe or an artist date. Obviously, I um, got into it back in on Instagram, so I was following all your love, your beautiful gouache sketches. So that's how we, I feel like I was, well, I still am. I think we're both gouache lovers. And so, yeah, it was, it was, it was really good to get to chat to you in a real life. Yes, absolutely. So do you, do you want to tell us maybe a little bit about your daily process? And I mean, I could talk about gouache all day, but you use a variety of mediums. I'd love to hear about how that works for you on the daily. So basically, I think one of the reasons I got on Instagram is going back 10 years ago, I really was trying to get back into art in a sort of a a more dedicated, focused way. And my way of doing it was to try and, I was trying to, I did drawing a day project for a whole year. So I committed to every single day and I love sketchbooks. So it was, uh, I committed to my sketchbooks. Every single day I date it and make, I think I focused on gouache back then as well. I was really into gouache sketches. That's how, yeah, that's how I, uh, that was my process then. And in some ways it has carried on. So even though I committed to the year, I think I went on for another year. I nearly achieved every day, but I'm so grateful. I think if I look back on it, that the whole, first, you know, developing a habit and committing to to the daily sketching because really now I still have that I still have that aim that for me I really want to try and make a little bit of art every day and you know most of the time I achieve that but there are days now I skip and that's fine by me and you know if if life happens um, you know big events then yes I take a break from it but I feel I really have to through perseverance I agree, and I love it. I'm, I'm totally have embraced sort of the sort of daily art habit, and my process is still sketchbook. That is my. I, I'm never going to leave. I think I'm always going to return to having keeping sketchbooks. And now it's actually a bit embarrassing because I've got so many. I don't know if you're the same. <laughs> I don't think that's embarrassing. That's it's, a, it's an embarrassment of riches, is what it is. <laughs> But it's like, I used to, it used to be I had one sketchbook and I did this daily project. It was every day I'd work in the same sketchbook. Now I have like, I'm just looking around on my floor because I'm in my studio and I'm surrounded by uh, various 
I've kind of liked got different categories now, like an abstract sketchbook and a still life sketchbook-ish sketchbook, and then a, what I call an anything goes sketchbook, where I just every day, like I couldn't just draw anything I want. It could even be notes. So, um, but I am also from that practice. It sort of grew. Like now, I work on paper and I make prints, and I also want to because we've just got the, the studio space. But it's not just, but um, like an ADU in our backyard and it's like meant to be my home office but it's primarily my art studio so I'm working on canvas as well and uh, I'm just looking at my easel because it's like on your easel and on my easel is a large abstract painting in acrylic that I'm sort of sitting with it because I think it's finished but I'm not sure so yeah and portraits as you said I did actually think about did sell on the side some portrait, but portraits but I sort of burnt out a little with that practice because it is it yeah. does require quite a lot of concentration and focus I don't know if you found that yeah um, I am terrible at, at portraiture oh, I love it I really enjoy I think I, if I go back to childhood that's my like entryway into art I was always drawing people and like wanting to be a fashion mm. designer and I all the artists I admire like a, my list of them um, there's a British artist Justin Mortimer and um, you know, I think John is a singer-sergeant, a lot of the greats. I, I love that sort of art, but it is very, I find it quite tiring and frustrating at times. So I'm kind of keeping it now for my own practice. I'm doing portraits of my boys, and I've been doing sort of more self-portraits as well. Oh. That definitely is part of my practice. I still want to keep that up, because I think you can get rusty there. That's the one thing I would say, like, like if I ever gave tips. I feel like when you practice drawing people it's like a muscle I can tell when I've not been doing it regularly I struggle more with you know getting the features especially with likenesses so yeah 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 do a lot of different work where do you find inspiration for for the abstract stuff and the florals and how do you come across inspiration for that kind of work I love the fact that um, I can follow my curiosity and I can, um, there's just, there's so many different places. I think a lot of it, I would say, is from, it's online. I like to, you know, in, Instagram, we were just, uh, I think we were talking earlier, but it has, Instagram has these days a sort of mixed feelings on it, but it is a visual platform and I can't, I mean, that's how I met you, that's how I met uh, and had contact with a lot of, artists I would never I would not know about if it wasn't you know so I'm grateful to that platform because I've yeah it really opens my eyes to people like myself who are at home who love sketching and drawing and you didn't you know you didn't have to have that sort of gatekeeper it wasn't just going to art galleries which I do love doing but it, it allows you to see I love sort of more outsider art it just really showed me the great variety that there's a niche for everybody in art I think it did encourage me to explore, I, you know, thought, um, abstract art feels relatively recent for me to have, yeah. to have expressed myself in this way. And yeah, books as well. Like I love, we were talking about the library. I love the library. I'm so grateful <laughs> for the library system here. It is amazing. Yeah. But also you can put things on hold here. Like in the UK, you yeah. have to, which isn't bad, you'd have to like pay a little bit of money for it. But you can have books transferred to you and they could do, you know, like an yeah. art book, a particular art book I can reserve and it gets delivered to the library. And like they just a, hold it there and it's ready and waiting for you. It's like magic. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is it, so libraries and then out and about just walking. I love, I'm, I'm a bit of a runner. 
running through nature, I think I get inspiration. The thing I like about running, a bit like art, is you can sometimes sit with your thoughts. So things will come to me. And with the, even with the landscape nowadays, I'm, this picture I'm looking at, I'm kind of like trying to think like about abstracting it a bit more. I like painting traditionally, but then sometimes I love the freedom that you can change up the colours and add your own spin to things. That's the abstract. Sorry, what was the other? Oh, florals. Did you mention florals? Yeah, you do incredible florals that are definitely your own style and they are so confident. Yes, but that has grown. I used to do, and I still enjoy, like, your amazing, your gouache work is amazing. I don't think it was the kids. There was a period where I think people have to appreciate when you're doing that sort of gouache work. I mean, you do put a lot of time into it, don't you? Do you agree? Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm I'm pretty slow. I'm pretty slow. And I was finding, like, especially in the pandemic with the kids at home, like, my art time, I think having the three, I love my three boys, They've actually made me have to become a lot quicker and more spontaneous. I felt like I wanted with the florals, there was this point where I wanted to, I wanted to make more work and be a bit more prolific. I was looking around, at, again, there's other artists like maybe Mary Fedden online, and I think Rose, Rose Wiley is a big inspiration. Have you heard of Rose Wiley? No. I'll look- uh, it's a very different style for me. Um, but I loved, I, she was on a podcast. I was listening, to, I loved you know, listening to podcasts when I'm working and cooking. She's a British artist who's really come into the contemporary world now. She's like, you know, like 80, maybe even near 90. And very, very naive, bold paintings. And I love the fact that she had sort of kept her practice up. She'd been a full-time mum with her boys, and she makes no apologies for that. She brought up her family, kept up her own art, her own art style. And then in her, when the, her children were grown up, it's like she sort of got found more than she committed and to it. It's very like ch- childish, sort of naive. I don't know how you describe it, but so free. I, I think that just really inspired me. She was a bit sort of like a role model because I like how she, you know, she had her family and then she still kept with the painting because there's a lot, lot I've read the book, you know, there's a lot of talk about how hard, yeah. hard it is combining art and motherhood. Yeah. And then... I just found her, like, her, her spontaneity. I, was, I thought, I want more of that in my work. Where can I sort of embrace that? And I think with the floral art, I was feeling a little bit, I didn't want to go too botanical, sort of tight on it. If I wanted, I was getting a bit dissatisfied with my flaws or frustrated. So I was like, well, maybe let's just switch it up a bit and let's try and go really loose and try and pair them back and change up the colours this could be an arena where I can have fun loosening up. And it kind of just, I think it's like the thing, I sort of, when you sort of commit to it, you do it every sort of frequently, it became easier and I became unhappier with them. I don't know what, I think the only problem is, do you find this as well, sharing online? When you do share online, I was a little bit hesitant and I started to make assumptions what other people might think and I needed to sort of take take that out of it but I've, I've carried on and um, actually it, it would appear that people also want to loosen up and enjoy playing the colour yeah just having fun with it really and embracing my mood as well like what sort of mood am I in in terms of colour choice and shape you know transitions are hard they're hard for your for you and they're hard for the audience but once you get through them then I still think your work shows like your work that authenticity comes through no matter what, really. I can't wait to look up this, this artist, though, because she sounds wonderful. <laughs> Thank 
very like a painting. So these massive. Also, if you look online at her art studio in Britain, she's in this old house, and she's got like it's oil paints. So she's got crunched paper everywhere. She's very kind of slightly fun and eccentric. So I like. I yeah. She says what she. She's just very interesting, and I think it's nice to have. I don't know about you, but I like to sort of have sort of artist role models, people that I can absolutely identify with and connect with. That always inspires me in my practice. So when you're when you're out for your runs, is that when you capture inspiration for your landscape paintings? Yes. If I'm running on my by myself, then I like to listen music or podcast I've got my phone so I can just stop and I like to take pictures and often I run the same route I run that route this frequently but yes I feel in a different light or if there's a different cloud I can capture it in a the lot you know in a photograph and then maybe actually because it's the same the same areas I'm painting I feel freer now to play around with how I interpret them if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think with me, if I'm going to be really honest, is I get, I think I get, artistically, I have to have variety. Actually, I'm a bit like this with food. I can't eat the same thing too many days in a row. Like, I'm not going to be able to say just do florals. I like to have drawing people um, one day, florals the next, landscapes. And then how do I do a landscape? I'll draw it one way, but I might draw the same scene, but I might change it up or even draw from the sketch. I just enjoy the variety that I'm allowed to experience in in with art. Yeah, I think that's, that comes through in your work. Good. But yeah, running is definitely, <laughs> I think it's just helpful to, weirdly, when you're running, like slow, slow helps me just to think more about what I want to achieve in my art or I definitely am inspired by, by the landscape as well. Yeah, that definitely comes through. And you you often have seascapes or water elements. And because I live here on the edge of the Pacific, I am always drawn to the the watery landscapes that you paint. They're just so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, no, me too. I think there's something really calming about water as well. I think I always yeah. seek it out if I'm anxious or overwhelmed. There's something, I think we're very, like, it is beautiful, the bay, like, on a certain day when it's super flat, and yet other times when there's, you know, when it's, there's sort of lots of, it's very wavy, or the, the, the clouds, I just, yeah, water, yeah. I think, does affect our sort of mood and wanting to be near it at times. Yeah. So, can you tell us, do you have any upcoming plans? We're still early January 2024 here. I'm wondering if you can share anything about what's coming up this year for you. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying this, this, is, this is going to sound uh, familiar to other people, but it, genuinely, I try not to make too many resolutions or goals. I've always shied away from that because I know you can do that. And then it, I, I, don't, I don't, it doesn't seem to have helped me in the past. The more it was more off-putting, I feel under pressure. But even though I have a, I've deliberately tried not to do that, it feels in the back of my head I get caught up. And I don't think I'm alone in this. This whole, like, it's January, this energy. I've got to get on with, with be a bit more ambitious with my art and things. So I, uh, well, I no pressure, I... Sonia. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if you feel people probably might feel the same, that same way. Do so you sort of uh, start off all, like, bright eyes and bushy tails, as it were? 
And then it's kind of like, oh, we're into the school term. The kids have got this. I've got to make yeah. doctor's appointments. There's, a, there's all this other. So I was like, actually, my goal is to simplify. I'm going to try and um, just keep things relatively simple for myself. And that means I'm going to, what feeds me like creatively, what's been going well is I did have the, I started the YouTube channel like three or four months ago. Uh, that was also on a whim. And I thought, well, maybe I won't do this. I'll just do it because I've done a few sketchbook tours and then stop. But I've really embraced that. And I'm, I'm enjoying it as a creatively, it feels a, a good way to make content and share. So I'm going to stay with that. But again, not put myself under pressure. Like if I, something, life happens, I'm just going to, you know, I'll miss a day, a week, whatever. And, you know, my priorities tend to be like my family and you know, things closer to home. So I've got the YouTube. I'm still posting to Instagram and I'm, I'm there. I do appreciate my community and I've met you. And that's how I do sort of keep in touch with what's going on and share work. And then I met through joining the Burlingame Art Society two ladies, Caroline and Katie, and they run a local group called Joy of Drawing. It's a non-profit, and they've written a book, and they do both in-person and online workshops. So it might be of interest to your audience if they live locally, because I think some of the libraries... Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Local library system. I think it's San Mateo Library System they're working with. So they teach, you know, going back to basics, how to draw workshops. Um, I think they've been to like half mid bay. I popped down to Foster City. They were doing one there, and they also I um, signed up to help them out with some online with an online workshop. So in February I'm down. This is my first ever teaching online workshop, and it's going to be on loose florals. So I'm doing that and preparing for that. And then I actually I think this is important to share as well because sometimes I think it's about what we to focus on goals, but what do we say no to? If that makes sense. So actually, another workshop group did get in contact with me, but I've put that on the back burner because I can tell, I think you can easily get overwhelmed even with your own, you know, happy, creative goals. I know from my previous career, like, I don't want to get burnt out with regards to art, as it were. I want to, I so I've kind of said, actually, I'm going to say, no to that like I'm sort of no to watching too much telly sort of more mindful social media use yeah so that's with a work sort of art work goals where I'm going and then I think within for me I just want to carry on I think last year I think through I think this also happens to people creatively but a lot of the time if uh, traumatic things happen and you know I think someone called it life quakes life will happen to us but it makes you reflect when, you know, traumas and family issues on how precious time is. And I feel like I want to still uh, embrace my own sort of art practice and pushing myself creatively and just letting myself explore, explore what do I want to do. Let myself go off down these rabbit holes, especially with sort of abstract art, push myself more there. So I'm keeping to actually, yeah. I think I shared it on YouTube. I'm trying to do it sort of more of a daily practice in that sketchbook. Like every morning, I'm trying to start my day in the abstract sketchbook. I love that you're protecting your own creativity and curiosity in that way. That is such a great reminder to me to to protect that. And I I have to laugh. It's hard to interrupt because we're doing this over the phone. But you you know, your goal for this year was to simplify. And then you've got this robust YouTube channel and it just, 
made me smile because in four months you've made over 130 videos and I am so impressed and I hope that I hope that our listeners take a minute to pop over there and see how your daily practice has unfolded over the last four months because you've made it visible to people and it's it's just really incredible. Sonia, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you can you tell people the best places to find you? You know, thank you. So uh, on Instagram, I'm at uh, Sonia Brissonart. And then on YouTube, I think it's just Sonia Brissonart. So those are the two places. And you have a, a Patreon, a really affordable Patreon for the little extra behind-the-scenes stuff too, yes? Thank you for reminding me. That's another of my focuses as well, like my Patreon. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing your process and and continuing to inspire me in so many ways. And thanks for coming on and introducing yourself to our listeners. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. This is On the Table. I am back with Nathan, my 19 and a half year old, who is in the middle of his sophomore year of college, and he is cooking for himself in an apartment. How's that going? I am so excited to get back. He's leaving as soon as we're done with this chat. <laughs> yeah, headed back up to school. No, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to take over my own fridge again, not have to worry about eating your guys' food. Our food is your food, my dear. Not so much into the lentils. Not really. Okay. I'm excited to make some more potatoes. Didn't I didn't utilize those enough last semester. You said you felt like you guys ate a lot of rice. Tons of rice. Okay. 25 and a half pounds to be exact. What made you come to that conclusion? You telling me that rice is not very, it's, it doesn't have a lot of sustenance and potatoes have more nutrients and vitamins. They do have a little bit more. And potatoes you can do more fun things with. You can, mm. you can bake them, you can fry them, you can put them in the air fryer, you can put them in this, put them in that, mash them up. You can eat. Potatoes are very versatile and I'm excited to do, do torturous things to them and see what, see what happens. It's going to be experimenting. I love it. Yeah. What else are you thinking you're going to cook this semester? Less ground beef, more bison. And why is that? The high fat percentage of beef. I'm excited to make less just straight up ground bison and do like some more meatballs, maybe some more burger patties. So we did a meatball lesson while you were home. Yep. I think I did a, did I do an audio recipe for yep. you? I have an audio, <laughs> I have an audio message of us going over the ingredients, going over the steps. And I'm pretty much going to follow it to a T for the first couple times. Got to go to Safeway and get some panko breadcrumbs. I did feel like those meatballs, either the onion needed to be more finely chopped or... Yeah, it was a little crunchy. They were a little crunchy. But I didn't mind. Or let it saute for longer. Right. That could work. And how about vegetables, my dear? Green is mean. They scare me. The air fried broccoli. It was awful. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so salty. Oh, no. Yeah. I don't know what I did. Maybe I over-seasoned it. Maybe I put too much olive oil. I don't know what, but it was unappealing. Didn't really didn't really enjoy that very much. So definitely just going to be boiling the broccoli and eat it like that. Carrots, cucumbers, celery. Avo avocado. Oh, my God. Avocado. Is that a vegetable? I don't know. I think, I think fruit. it's a fruit. I think it's a fruit. But it's green. It's green. And that's all that counts, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, definitely going to be going to Costco for those. Getting some brown paper bags to make them ferment faster or whatever the term is ripen that one let's see what else lots of bananas 
Lots of peanut butter. More you, nuts is a big thing. Nuts would be great. You were having pretty good success with the protein waffle. They are so good. The Kodiak. Kodiak, the, yeah. yeah the, the power cakes. And did it help to add? It So I'm, I'm now doing for every cup of powder, I'll do like a glug or two, maybe three if I'm feeling generous, of some vanilla extract. And then usually two or three eggs. And then good. a pinch, pinch of salt. Perfect. And then when I put it into the waffle iron, I throw like some chocolate chips on top, make it a little better. But yeah, I'm just, I'm just excited to get up there. And I think this semester I want to start getting a little more macro tracking, just so I'm a little more aware of how much fuel is actually going into my body rather than eat when you're hungry, which isn't really quantifiable for me. So I want to be, I want to know that I'm hitting as much protein as I need to grow muscle and enough carbs to sustain that and the fats to keep everything else healthy. Sounds good. Yes, ma'am. I'm excited. Maybe you'll report back in at the end of the semester. Absolutely. You'll hear from me in June. Okay, everyone. There's Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Bye. On the nightstand, I am here with my cousin by marriage, Megan. Megan and I, our husbands are first cousins. And that means that Megan and I have made some really good choices in our lives. And Megan and I often connect about books. And so I thought I would invite you to join me today to talk about your book process, how you find your recommendations. How long have you been in San Francisco? July will be our five-year anniversary. So you're kind of new to the city, which is exciting. And and I don't know if that has played into your book life at all. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I will say being wives of first cousins, I, I always joke with my husband that I, you know, I got lucky with him, but I hit the jackpot with his family. Right. So our in-laws are amazing. They really are, especially if they're listening. Extra amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so Megan and I are here on a rainy day. We're not in the studio. We're in the comfy, cozy of my living room. And we're going to talk to Megan about her books for a few minutes. So without further ado, do, do you keep track of your books? Well, I should preface by saying that I am a project manager, which is truly a lifestyle. So I definitely keep track of my books and my preferred medium is an Excel because project managers love a good spreadsheet. So I have a Google doc that I've had running for, I think three or four years at this point. And I have a different tab for every year of books that I've read, books that I want to read, books that I've, you know, DNF'd, like did not finish. That kind of started because I would talk to people like yourself or listen to podcasts like this podcast and get these great recommendations. And then I would go to the bookstore or the library and just go blank. Like, what was that book that Courtney recommended? I can't remember. So I started just jotting down the title, the author, and who recommended it so that when I finally read it, I can go back to that person and say, oh, I loved this. What did you think of that? And kind of have a discussion. So that's been kind of just good old-fashioned spreadsheet. I have a Goodreads that I don't really use. I also use the San Francisco Public Library app, which I love, um, to kind of pre-order books. And I have an on-deck kind of classification in my spreadsheet for those that I have loaded into the SFPL app. (laughs) Yeah, I overload that thing sometimes. And then I know Monica always talks about this. We'll get in a big stack And then you've got a lot of reading to do really quickly. Yeah, I definitely did that. I just picked up 12 new books the other day. So um, I hope my husband enjoys doing the dishes for the next few weeks (laughs) because I will be reading all evening. (laughs) That's delicious. 12. So good. So where do you find your book recommendations? I love this question. So 
I am a big library girl. I grew up in kind of a crazy household. And so since I could walk to the library, the library was my safe space. You could find me in a beanbag chair with Anne of Green Gables or the Boxcar Children or Nancy Drew, just sort of getting lost in that world. And it was always on weekends and summer vacations when you're home and there's a lot of chaos happening. That was my go-to. And so that was for most of my childhood. And then when I lived in New York in my 20s, I kind of got out of that habit because New York has these really great bookstores. And so I would just sort of amass books or do book swaps. And I kind of forgot to go to the library. To your point of moving here, one thing I've really enjoyed is the San Francisco Public Library. It's amazing. So I'm largely a library girl, but I also have some favorite indie bookstores that I'll go to because books are my love language. So if I have to buy a gift or if I'm thinking of a friend, if I if I read a book that I think a friend will like, I'll just go and pick up a copy at one of my two local favorites. Which are your two local favorites? So obviously Green Apple. I think mm-hmm. that that's a classic. And that is the kind of bookstore. I, I have two and I use them for different things. Green Apple is, I don't know what I want. I just want to go and touch a million books and get lost and get lost and just, you know, inhale that smell of, you know, a bookstore, that bookstore smell. And then my kind of the one that I use more frequently is called Blackbird and the Outer Sunset. For anybody that hasn't been there or isn't in San Francisco, it's incredibly curated. So they have a, a pretty limited, but very thoughtful collection. They feature a lot of local authors, which I really like. I, I find a lot of books there that I didn't know existed, but they cover San Francisco history. However, they do do special orders. So don't be shy about going there if you think that they're not going to have it. You can email them and usually within a day or two, it'll come in. And they also have a really great backyard for kids and they have a little tree house. So my kids can go and go in the tree house. I can browse quietly for what I want. They have a coffee shop. So that's one of our go-tos. You're raising readers. I can tell. They, yes. Um, my So my seven-year-old has been having a really hard time going to bed lately because he is getting really excited about everything that's been going on. And so we just put him in a loft bed. So he's kind of up away from sister because they share a room. And so our new bedtime routine is you can go to bed with a book. You can turn the light out whenever you are tired. You can stay up all night as long as you're up for school. And he will stay up for a good 30, 40 minutes reading. He actually just finished the series that you got him for Christmas. Oh, good. He loved it. He loved it. Those guys were so fun too. And they didn't really speak about their process because I think they just feed off of each other. That's pretty delightful. That's the Mac, Burnett, and I'm forgetting. It's the... It's the Cats in Outer Space. Yeah. Well, we can link it in the show yeah. probably. We'll put it in the notes. Um, but yeah, he's really into graphic novels. In the book, they call fruit like flum fuzzles or something. And so he's been saying, Mom, can you pack some flum fuzzles for my lunch? And he's really picked up on it. But it's a great series. So we just wrapped up 2023. And Monica and I last week or last episode talked about some of our favorite books. And Monica is the project manager of our team. She likes numbers. I'm a little softer in that department. But do you want to tell us maybe what you read in 2023-ish that you you loved and maybe some people will get inspired by that. Absolutely. When I was kind of thinking about this, because I figured that there would be questions about what I'm reading or what I read. So I kind of have three, I wouldn't call them genres, but three areas that I wanted to kind of recommend. My first two favorites, I think were featured on here or 
they're kind of in the zeitgeist and talked about a lot. So they kind of made their way into my to be read list. The first is Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. We were talking a little bit before we started recording about how it's such a difficult subject matter, but it's so beautifully written and wrought that it's, I think, should be a required reading personally for most English Yeah, classes. I agree. I thought it was amazing. And have you read any of her other books? Yes. Yeah. Um, I felt the same way about about her other book that's set in, in Africa. Similarly, interesting subject matter. Difficult at times to read, but worth the read and a good one. I also always joke, you know, she wrote Animal Vegetable Miracle. I love that book. I love that book too, but it made me feel like we are fat bear week over here because <laughs> her and her husband and her daughter would stretch a chicken for like four meals and a chicken here, it like doesn't even feed all four of us. So I always, whenever I make a chicken and think, is this going to feed my family of four, my three guys? I think about Barbara Kingsolver and her modest chicken intake. Well, we should check and see if her kids wrestled because that might That's be. That's true. That is true. <laughs> um, and I also wanted to shout out, she did a really great, so I actually wasn't sold on reading Demon Copperhead because I kind of got in my head and, and I knew that it was off of a Dickens novel. And so I was thinking I should go back and read the Dickens novel to make, to have the context for Demon Copperhead. But she was on the Ezra Klein show and did a great interview. It was a little bit about the book, but more just about her background. And she's kind of moved all around and she is kind of the queen of Appalachia now because she, she was born there and raised there and she moved to the Southwest. I think I want to say New Mexico, but then she was also in Africa and then she was in Florida and she kind of said, and I'm summarizing probably poorly so everybody should go listen to it but that Appalachia is where her heart really is and that Mm. it's important for her as an author to tell the stories that was the heart of the opioid epidemic it was it gave interesting context to Demon Copperhead that I I think I might not have picked it up if I hadn't listened to the podcast Mm, excellent we'll make sure that's in the notes and then my second favorite the more wider popular genre is The Vaster Wilds by Lauren Groff who also wrote The Matrix which I just read I think I read that at the beginning of 2023. So I kind of read, I bookended my year with Lauren Groff. Excellent. <laughs> I think what I love about her work is that she she says a lot without saying a lot. And sometimes I think that that kind of writing can be a little bit wispy and hard to grasp. And I, I like definitive sentences, but she does it in such a beautiful way that her prose makes you feel what she's trying to make you feel, I, I think. And so if you're a little bit squeamish, it does have some body stuff, you know, there's some injuries, etc. And there's a, a big twist in it. But I think she does a wonderful job of putting across the feelings that she wants you to feel. Yes. And I know I, Monica and I both spoke about this and really enjoyed this book. And my impression of it was there's a million books in the world about man versus nature. And there are not that many books about a woman versus nature. And I feel like finally, <laughs> and I know there are other ones, but I feel like this one is really exquisitely done. And the background that they give the main character, it it's it doesn't feel like you're trying to put a woman into man versus wild. It gives why she's such a fighter and why she's able to survive the way that she does because of her background, which I thought was really interesting and kind of grounded it in yeah. this way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it. Woman versus wild. <laughs> <laughs> so the other the other ones that I like, so I kind of have a chunk of sci-fi. Sci-fi, futurism, kind of, I wouldn't say that they're all straight sci-fi, but that kind of futurism vibe. My first recommendation kind of in that 
genre is The World We Make by N.K. Jemisin, which is actually the second book in a two-book series. It was meant to be three books, but then she, during the pandemic, determined that the subject matter only had two books in it, but they're both beautiful. And it's a bit of a love letter to New York City. So those that are from that area will get a lot out of it. She did a beautiful job of creating characters of each borough. And I just think that it's masterful in how she crafted these characters from the tough Bronx and the and Queens <laughs> and, you know, New York City. It was very fortuitous. My husband and I took a trip to New York and it was his first time being back since we moved here, actually in New York City. And it was very interesting to read that book sitting in a hotel with a view of the New York City skyline because we were in Brooklyn. It was a wonderful sense of place book. Yeah. Um, the second one in that genre is this book called Aesthetica by Ali Robottom. The subject is this influencer who has had all sorts of plastic surgery. And I think I can, I don't think that this is a spoiler, but she signs up for this really controversial procedure to have all of her plastic surgery reversed. It's obviously set in the future, but it explores where we are as a society being so aesthetic focused, plastic surgery being so prevalent with younger and younger girls. It's a fictional book, but it tells a really interesting narrative about that. You'll have to read it to see if she actually gets it done or not. <laughs> it sounds very thought-provoking, like a good book group book. It would be an excellent book club or book group book, especially, you know, I'm a, an older millennial. And so I think I dodged the bullet of the plastic surgery train. Not that people my age don't get it, but I think younger and younger kids, young adults are getting it nowadays. And so I think... Really? It, Yes, from what I see on Instagram. This is not this is not in my radar at all. I think it's Although I do have a lot of friends. I'm not outing anyone, but I do have friends who do Botox. Yeah. Well, so now a lot of companies are a lot of med spas are advertising baby Botox for people that are like 25, 26, 27. And so oh it's God. more and more prevalent younger and younger. So it is interesting I think it's due to the influencer, the TikTok and Instagram influencer oh my gosh. trend of trying to make your face look like a filter. So I just remember being a kid and like one of my chores was to go through my grandmother's cupboard and she would scare me about the cans that if it has a bulge. That's the botulism. And like <laughs> I have generational trauma from canned goods. If only you knew you could have saved that and put it in your face. I know. It would have been a, a money saver. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Yeah. So I think it's interesting either for younger folks that are living in that world or for our generation that kind of skipped it to kind of get behind the psychology of it. It's an, it's an interesting read all around. And then the third kind of in that futurism state is actually based in Silicon Valley, which I think is really cool. She, the main character lives in one of the valleys in the city. I forget which one, but it's called Ripe by Sarah Rose Etter. And this was actually a recommendation from the Roxane Gay newsletter, which I really love. She started a indie imprints of to spotlight books by authors of color, queer, non-binary. And this was one of the ones that she featured in her book club. But it's about a young woman that moves to the Bay Area to strike it rich in Silicon Valley. But she has this black hole that follows her around and it grows and it shrinks and can she can she throw things into it? <laughs> no, no, that would be nice. It would be helpful. It doesn't specify when it's set, so it's a little bit maybe in the future, but things in San Francisco have deteriorated and so it will react to 
an on-house person or, you know, it'll kind of grow bigger when there's the signs of these inequity and then it'll shrink. But I found it really interesting because, and maybe it's a time and place thing for me, but I'm at a weird place in my career where I'm kind of trying to figure out what I want to be when I get older. And in this book, she's being asked to do more and more unethical, edgy, non-illegal things by her tech boss. And so she has some really interesting observations about the flexibility Mm. of our morals. And it's almost like she has this conscience that follows her around because her boss will ask her to do something unethical and it grows and it starts pulsing and it's sort of this. So, wow. And I don't think that's a spoiler, but (laughs) that sounds super weird, but interesting and, and interesting. No, but I'm realizing as I'm looking at these titles that all three of them are still are also kind of they're sci-fi, but they're also commentary, social commentary too which I think is maybe that's my genre is sci-fi social commentary. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my genre is definitely take care of the environment, like low grade, take care of the environment, vote accordingly. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a fiction or nonfiction genre? Well, since I mostly read fiction, it's that's where I find it. But, you know, I am kind of a field guide. Aficionado. Aficionado. So what, what's the one book I should add to my to be read from that genre to put you on the spot? <laughs> um, the, I always forget the name of it. Um, the one about the trees. Oh, oh the overstory. overstory. <laughs> the overstory by Richard Powers. Talk about a book that follows you around. That book is really important to me. I read that one, I think in 2023 as well, or maybe the end of 2022. But it's really interesting how he, he he kind of has that holy trinity of plot, world building, and character building, which I think is rare. And I love that the trees are the characters in it. I don't know, maybe I'm more of a tree hugger than I thought I was, but it just, it really lives, it just walks around with me. It's very San Francisco of you. Thank you. (laughs) And then the last two recommendations... The first one was a recommendation by my good friend who's a director. She's a bit of a powerhouse. Shout out to Erin. But she does, she directs these really strong female character driven shorts. Movie shorts. Movie shorts. Yeah. Okay. She was kind of a powerhouse creative director in New York City, moved out to LA, and she decided to go off and do her own thing. She's, you know, directed a Pepsi Super Bowl commercial, like that sort of thing. But now she's, she's self-funding and getting funding for these shorts. Anyway, she has really wonderful taste and she has a really good eye for strong female characters. So the book that she recommended was Girls They Write Songs About. I loved that book. It it is maybe one of my top 10 favorite books ever. I love it so much. That was a lot of background on my friend, but I think she doesn't recommend books lightly. And it was one of those books that has crawled under my skin and lives there, I think, forever. (laughs) I think perhaps you posted a photo of the cover and I, being the sponge that I am for recommendations, immediately ordered it. And when I read it, I actually wasn't sure if it was going to stick for me or not. And I was swept right into it and really enjoyed it. That's good to hear the backstory on how it came to you. I love that. I think too, being in my late 30s, I'm at a weird life inflection point. And I think what I loved about it is it just gave me nostalgia for like my 20s and when your friends are everything and popping around New York City and just kind of going wherever the wind takes you. And then how those female friendships 
ebb and flow and intertwine and separate and come back together. I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Good one. And then my last, last one, speaking of nostalgia, was You Are Here by Karen Lynn Greenberg. I can't remember where this recommendation came from, but it's based in a mall in Western New York and Albany, New York, that's being shut down. And it kind of tells the story of, I think, three or four characters who on the surface are not related at all, but that intersect and interact within this mall and how the mall closing will change their lives. And, you know, there's a single mom, there's an elderly lady who goes to walk around. There's a teenager that works in the food court and they all kind of intersect. And there's like a little bit of race discussion with it. There's a little bit of gentrification discussion, but it really has a lot of heart to it. Those kind of discussions are a little more on the peripheral. It's got a lot of heart to it, which I like. That's excellent. These are all such good recommendations. I hope people seek them out. You, is your Instagram private or public? My Instagram's private, but I will accept accept people if they want to follow me. (laughs) Okay. Uh, We'll put it in the notes. And I think that's that's it for us today. So we're going to leave things here with Megan. And I hope that you go do something that you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Okay, bye. Do something. I'm going to get that all wrong. I forget how we close it. (laughs) We close with. Do something that you love every day. Yeah, I think so. Um, Do one thing you love. Do something. (laughs) And then you say, thanks, everyone. Okay. I I say thanks, everyone. Yeah. Go do something that you love every day. Wait, what am I supposed to say? Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf at C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.